We are late night podcasting, people. This is Icy Takes with Jeff and Big Dave. Jeff, another long week. I love to use the word arduous, so another arduous week without hearing you. How are you? Oh, Dave, it's another day. It's another day in the kingdom. Um, Long week, but jam-packed full of news. A lot of stuff for us to talk about. Um, The NHL, after being on a hiatus for, what, two and a half months of not giving us anything to talk about, um, basically punched us in the face and said, start talking about us again. Yeah, uh, the the dog days of baseball was essentially the dog days of hockey, too, where it almost felt like in baseball we were repeating ourselves and we had nothing for hockey. And now this is going to be a very heavily based hockey talk show. Yeah, we got we got a little bit of almost everything. We we have games that started tonight. Uh, the Penguins are in uh, State College playing the Buffalo Sabres. You had a... Uh, one-on-one investigative reporting interview, I guess, from Rob Rossi on Evgeny Malkin we're going to get into. Mitch Marner uh, finally signed a contract with the Leafs. Um, The CBA got left the way it is by the Players Association. We got a division preview, um, a bunch of signings to talk about. So, I mean, we may as well get going or we're going to be doing a two-day podcast binge. Yeah, yeah. So start us off, Jeff. Uh, I think we we agreed that this story took precedence over everything yeah Yeah, so the athletics uh rob rossi decided to go take a trip over to uh russia to go visit evgeny malkin this offseason and um for those that don't know rob rossi seems to have this pretty good relationship with evgeny malkin um you know he he's the one person in the media that that malkin ends up talking to and um kind kind of gives that inside access per se that maybe not a lot of uh, a lot of other guys would get. Um, and it seems, it seems like in sports um, there's always that, that one reporter that a, that a star player feels comfortable around. So for, for Gino, it's definitely Rob Rossi. And it was a very telling article. Um, Dave, did you end up reading this article at all or anything? I did not read the article, but just seeing the headline and actually like reading um, probably like the intro to it, it was just eye popping to see what this was going into. Yeah. So, so there was a lot, uh, that, that dealt with, um, what was going on with Evgeny Malkin throughout the year, what was keeping, um, keeping him held back, uh, one of the worst seasons of his career, um, his relationship with Mike Sullivan and Phil Kessel, how they kind of went back and forth and, Gino was kind of in the middle. Um, the trade talks got brought up in this article. It was a really telling article. Um, the one thing that I found real interesting was that um, he, he pretty much, you know, was stuck between the rift of Phil Kessel and Mike Sullivan. And, um, you know, he, it got to the point where he was almost ready to say, you know, it's either me or Phil, so one of us is going to have to go. And... Lo and behold, the captain, Sidney Crosby, um, I don't want to say demanded that they kept Gino, but uh, pretty much said, you know, he's the guy that you need to keep here. It's time to move on from Phil Kessel. So I thought that was a an interesting part of the article. Um, just a, a really telling article. If you get an opportunity to read it, um, go on the Athletics website and, and give, it a, give it a read. You'll learn a lot about uh, what happened the past year with the Penguins. Um, but yeah, 
with with the Phil Kessel trade earlier this summer, and a lot of people were wondering, you know, how does this happen? Um, you know, a guy like Phil Kessel unfortunately has a shelf life in the NHL, and um, it was time for the Penguins to move on. And and when you're part of the core like Evgeny Malkin is, uh, it's going to be very very difficult to move him um, to benefit the franchise. So. Um, is there anything else you want to add to this, Dave? Or So what I am maybe not getting from this, but one thing that I have always had a curiosity with is the the ego battle, essentially, or like a pride battle between any athlete and any sport where it comes down to the, hey, it's either me or him that has to go where they were so successful a couple years ago, maybe not on the same line, but as a team, as a whole, that they were so successful that it can get to that point where you're not really performing to the best of the abilities that you were as a team two, three years ago to get it to where it is now to where Malkin said, you know, it's either him or me. It It's always piqued my curiosity to see what goes through the state of mind for any player that, that thinks that at any point in their career. Yeah. Yeah. And it was also telling too. um, uh, Gino also came out and pretty much was saying that, um, between him and Phil, like you said, they had success in the past with winning the two, uh, back-to-back Stanley cups a couple of years ago that, um, it seemed like Phil Kessel became very complacent with his, where he was at in his career, he was just trying to to um, to add on to his stats. Uh, he wasn't necessarily there to win uh, Stanley Cups anymore. He was there just to collect stats and basically build his legacy. So um, I thought that was a very telling um, uh, part of the the article too. That um, you know Phil Kessel, like we said, is is a very interesting character. In the in the NHL, he's he's not your athlete. He's not your typical athlete like Sidney Crosby, who's working day in and day out, um, always focusing on hockey. You know, he wants to come in, um, come to the rink, do his morning skate, or come in, prepare for a game, and then that's it. He's done with, with hockey. So he, I, I kind of found it surprising for for a teammate or a former teammate to come out and and say something like that about someone that you had so much success with and to say that he became complacent with his career. Um, and that's where they kind of started going their separate ways. Another thing that I think is crazy and not even just Phil Kessel, but anyone in general, as you grow up wanting and thriving to become an NHL player or what I assume like any sport, but we're just using the NHL here. As you grow up and continue to excel at what you do on the ice and really find your calling, it's interesting to see that there's two sorts of players, at least in the NHL, where there are players that go after statistics, but I think the majority go after that that team winning, that team building way of finding ways to win games no matter what, whether you're winning it 8-7 to seven or one nothing, you find a way to get it done. And that's kind of 
what the Penguins had there for a couple years until, like this article stated, that Kessel was kind of stat chasing there. And I, especially with what he had in Toronto and now in Pittsburgh, I don't know what essentially he's chasing after where you can you can kind of pinpoint some players and see that they have a chance to maybe flirt with number one. But just how I view it as a, no, I'll say just as a fan and maybe just a viewer as well, that if you don't have a chance at being number one, then why the hell are you stat chasing? Yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying there. I I don't know. I, I, I don't know how much you can you can buy into the whole, you know, he's not there to win a cup. At the end of the day, I think everybody wants to win a Stanley Cup. It's just that um I think Phil Kessel put was putting his numbers ahead of um the overall team success. I think right, he wants he wants to win a cup. It's not yeah. it's just um That's not he's number not one on the bucket list. Yeah, I mean I, I mean I think your prime example there is his Iron Man streak. I mean the um the year they lost to the Capitals finally after how many years, um, it was rumored that they wanted to they wanted to sit Kessel before the playoffs uh, just to get him healthy before the playoffs, and he wouldn't do it. And it ended up affecting his performance, but he was still able to keep his Ironman streak going. So I, I, I think it's kind of stuff like that that, you know, an individual stat that, you know, yeah, the Ironman streak's awesome, but, um, you know, being the – three-time defending Stanley Cup champions, I think it would be a lot a lot better. But that's not my call. I'm just a fan and a, someone who thinks he knows what he's talking about. Yeah, so I think down to the bottom line, it's back to the ego and the pride. I think sometimes it can be hard for the player to admit that the team needs to go first over the player. So if that means sitting you down for a couple games, even though you've played over 800 games in a row, then you might want to sit out a couple games if you want to be celebrated as a champion again. But if that's not number one priority, then you're going to have those fights. And I just, like I said, I, I just find it interesting to see how the mind of a player works when it comes to stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you a hundred percent. And, um, it's kind of interesting that this article too kind of gave us like the behind the curtain look of the penguins that um, not too often do we get to see we um, the penguins have done a very good job of kind of keeping stories from the outside um, or stories from the inside from leaking out into the media or anything like that. Nothing like that you see with the, uh, with the Steelers or, or the pirates or whatever, they kind of do a good job of keeping that, that uh, shell from the outside world uh, of what goes on in the organization. So um, that's probably going to be my biggest takeaway from this whole thing is, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully Gino's got a clear mind and he's ready to go. Um, once it, once these games start counting here and um, hopefully, hopefully having it probably one of his better, better uh, seasons of, of his career. Do you think that with this story coming out that there is now an, not an example, but a reason for some of the sloppy play that he had last year? I, th- I think to a degree, because I mean, I don't know how much, 
You uh, can't blame all of it on and, it. it. No, no, but but to a degree, though, I mean, if you're not there mentally, um, it's going to really affect you. Um, he also talked about being away from his, his wife and his son, and, um, you know, you, you, got, you got your boss and a guy you're very close with going at it, and you're stuck in the middle, so that's on your mind, too. You're not playing well. You're you're worse on the team and plus minus. I think you he was um, one of the worst in the league at plus minus. Um, and when when things start not going your way, you start kind of pressing, trying to make them better. So um, I would say the stuff that he was going through mentally, yes, it it might be an explanation for the uh, the sloppy play of last year. So I would have to say that there there was so there was definitely a correlation there because there isn't a reason why this man should have been playing the way that he was playing last year. This is this is a dude that could be a number one almost on any other team as well. So the fact that he was he was playing the way he was playing against other second lines and his second line as well was just a little frightening. But with we'll we'll see how the how it clears out on the ice now and see how he plays. So I don't yeah. know. I'm, I'm excited for it. Yeah. To be, to piggyback one last thing off you. Um, if, if the story about Sidney Crosby is true, I mean, if that doesn't give him a boost and he comes out of the gate flying, um, I mean, the, the guy that you've kind of been, um, you know, kind of been your, your wing guy for the last 20 years or not 20 years, but like 15 years, I mean, if that doesn't give you a boost and have a big, uh, a big start to your season, I don't know what will. So I'm going to be interested to see how uh, 71 uh, performs at least early in the year. Dark horse for MVP, Evgeny Malkin. Let's see it. Ooh, if you want to, com- if you want to comment on this story or comment about what we had to say about it, let us know um, on Icy Takes at, with Jeff and Big Dave on Facebook at Icy Takes I C E Y Takes all together one word. Let us know what you think and uh, whether whether or not Malkin will have a better year. Will Kessel have a better year? Going back with his boy Talkit in Arizona, we'll find out. So, Jeff, what is up next? Well, Dave, we had uh, finally a big signing after um, after a long, long wait. Mitch Marner finally signed with the Toronto Maple Leafs. All he right. signed a six-year, six year six. $65.358 million contract. Um, this is finally the big fish to finally get uh, get signed in the restricted free agent world. Um, this, I, I'm sure this is a big relief for Toronto Maple Leafs fans, but the expectations in Toronto may have just gone up um, by 9 million percent. You could almost say 10 point one to five million percent yeah i mean is that how much he's making a year i did not break it down by year <sighs> I, I i just did i just did the full contract but i was um, trying to i was trying to make that joke about never mind so, I, I apologize you didn't deserve that at all it, it, it's okay I'm, <laughs> I'm used to it it's <laughs> just used to disappointment yep. um well you are a pirates fan so um but I mean, with with the expectations going up, you got pretty much your your big three in terms of the uh, the offensive talent that you have in Toronto, all signed to long term deals. William Nylander, Mitch Marner, 
Austin Matthews. Um, those guys are all signed. You also have Kasperi Kapitan, some of the, the um, supporting cast there that is signed. And we'll get into this into our Atlantic preview a little bit more in depth. But um, you have to figure that the uh, the the expectations for Toronto have to be a lot more than just winning the first round of the playoffs at this point, right? The, the the expectations in Toronto need to be at least a conference final appearance. This team, well, they're, they're, is... I mean, I mean, in, in, in all fairness, they're always incredibly, sometimes ridiculously high in Toronto over the last, like, we'll call it last twenty years. You know, with their rebuild and um, with the the old guard of the Matt Sundin Leafs um, kind of going on, and they went into the rebuild, but. Um, but yeah, they 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 got to be higher than than just winning in the first round after after the the amount of money that they spent in the in the last year. Yeah, this is this is probably I mean, like I said, we'll like you said, we'll get into it later. But this is a team that's on the cusp of doing amazing things, and they are just being being roadblocked right now by the by the bullies up in Boston. And then if they get past that round. Um, most likely they'll have Tampa Bay this year. Last year that wasn't, but you know Toronto's in a tough spot. But they they're just right there, but they just can't reach it. Um, so, uh, what are some other signings? Uh, some other signings. Uh, Ivan Provorov uh, went for six years, six sixty point five million dollars. Uh, Charlie McAvoy signed a bridge deal, a three year, four point nine million dollars. Um, this just came over during our little, I would hate to call it a production meeting because it's nothing close to that, but um, Brock Besser signed a three-year $17.625 million contract. Um, you had the Travis Konechny contract, correct? Yeah, uh, I did earlier. I, oh, I here it is. Here it is. I, I, I actually have it right here. Uh, six years, uh, $33 million. That one's interesting because Lane Vigneault pretty much took the uh, took a page out of John Tortorella's book and gave him the whole, I'll be disappointed if he's not here on time for camp. He used the disappointed dad approach. Yeah, and uh, so that that's interesting. Do you, you know, the Flyers spending a little bit more money on their future, I, I think, is a... Uh, a pretty interesting twist. Um, yeah, I'm, well, we talked about it last week. I still don't see the the overall hype of this Flyers team, but they're doubling down on a lot of players right now. So this is a team that's going to be almost be looking like the same team each year, but maybe fill a gap here or there, maybe make some moves at the trade deadline. But... You know, as of right now, they I I still don't see them winning, and I don't know if I'm just being blinded by my by myself of just hating the team that much, or if it's just not the right pieces that they're putting in there that for the long term. Yeah, I I agree with you. I I, I think these signings are good. They they're they're good moves for the Flyers. I just think that at some point they're going to have to make a big 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 splash whether it's trade or um in another way of of finding in free agency or something um they're gonna have to make some more moves and add to this team which i mean every everybody that watches hockey knows the team that you start out with it in game one is completely different than the one that you had going into game one of the uh, of the stanley cup playoffs so 
Um, I mean, the, the, the moves will be made. It's just to, that they're finally able to get uh, some of these young kids on long-term deals and, and pay them the money that, that avoids them from going to any type of free agency or anything is obviously a, uh, a big move for the Flyers. Back to the back to the joke about the hopes of Toronto Maple Leafs fans. It's ten point eight nine three million percent for the mm. Maple Leafs. So okay, there's the there joke. It landed. Yeah, Let's okay. move on. Okay. Okay. Um, so my question to you is: After we went through all these uh, all these contracts, the Brock Besser one is actually a really big deal for for the Vancouver Canucks to at least get him signed for a couple more years and hopefully um, get him on a long term deal in Vancouver uh, is really really a good good signing for them for at least now and get him signed long term after this contract but uh my question to you is um who do you see next that is that is going to get signed in the rfa community um you you still have guys like uh miko rantanen from our adopted colorado avalanche um brayden point still isn't signed patrick line they went over to uh to Switzerland to uh, to go work out over there since he's not signed. Um, there's still there's still some names out there. Who do you think is going to be the next one to uh, to get signed? Um, I'd say just because of his impact in the playoffs, Rantanen. Um, I think just well, you said like Lines over in uh, Switzerland right now, or you right. said Switzerland, yeah, yeah. Um, he's over there working out, and I can see this maybe lasting a little bit longer because of how impactful he's been for that team and where that team is at right now. So, but I think the the Avalanche have something to really build off of, and Rantanen was one of those players that did work. I'll, I'll just put it at that: did work in the playoffs for everything that they did in the in the playoffs to losing game seven of the second round but um to beat up on the on the flames which you know i threw them out immediately i thought the flames were that too good you know rantanen was one of the big dogs that was holding it strong for the avalanche in the playoffs so i think this would this would make sense to be the next deal to get done yeah i agree with you and the one thing that's really really kind of like the head scratcher and I still kind of get it though why they're not they're not able to get the deal done right now is because um, you still got some young defensemen. Uh, I know Sam Gerrard. I think it gets a new uh, deal that either kicks in this year or kicks in next year. Kale McCarr is going to need signed in a couple of years, um, so they're they're still trying to plan their way around how they're going to deal with all these young contracts, but. Um, they moved Tyson Berry, so they were able to get some cap relief. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if he if he's the next one to sign. Um, between Line A and Point, those two are going to be interesting because um, it seems like both those uh, both those players aren't close with their teams in any way, shape, or form to uh, to be signed anytime soon. So, um, if I had to pick between the two, I would probably say. Um, Braden Point's going to be the next one to get signed. I just, I think Patrick Laine has so much potential, and he knows what he can, what he can do in terms of goal scoring. I just don't know if the Winnipeg Jets are willing to give him a long term deal. I think they're trying to go with a bridge deal, and Patrick Laine wants paid, and he wants paid now. He could probably be the highest paid winger in the NHL 
So he pr- he probably could because he has the goal scoring ability. It's a question of whether he can do it night in and night out. And I think two years ago he proved that he could do it. Um, I and what he was, and how old was he at that time? Oh, I think he was eighteen. Yeah, so eighteen I mean, or nineteen. I mean, he just doing it with a one in front of his age. So, um, I can see line A going into like right before the season. Because I think at one point, and I this is where I, I applaud these NHL players. They find uh, they they find a like a sense of accountability to join their team, no matter what the situation is. So that's why I think it'll just last like up until the beginning of the season. Yeah, I mean, the the one thing with the NHL, you really don't see this too often, where a player holds out throughout the year. I mean, the will. The William Nylander thing obviously was was a whole thing last year where he sat out to the last last day. But um, yeah, you're right. To, I mean, to an extent, like you're either with us or you're not. Kind of feeling in in the locker room. But at the end of the day, as as your colleagues in the locker room and everything, you know they they want you to get paid because you know they're they're still buds and you still want to see your buddy get what he feel is is owed and you don't talk about his contract very similar to um what Pittsburgh was dealing with with um with Le'Veon Bell like you all the all of his teammates were saying the, the right things of um you know we 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 want him here but we understand it's it's business at the end of the day these guys are still trying to get paid what they feel is necessary because um, you know, you only get a certain amount of time to make the amount of money these guys get to make until it's it's taken away from you. So, um, so I I I, I just think Braden Point's going to be the next one that gets signed. Um, I just don't know if Line A and, and the Jets are going to be able to to come to agreement as far as uh, as years of term. Okay, so I think that about does it for RFAs, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, so but the last thing before the, um, the, the Atlantic Division preview, uh, one little business note that the NHL put out, the, uh, the CBA was looked at by the NHL Players Association today. Um, it was a deadline to opt out of the current CBA, and they decided to stay in it for another three years, um, effectively saying that there will be no chance of a lockout or strike in um after the end of the year yeah uh we saw this happen as recently as the 2012 2013 season and even before that i believe in 05 0405 yeah yeah 0405 so this has been a league that can't well not can't get the deal done because they've made deals but they they seem they can't seem to find middle ground as to where they stand on the on the on the whole subject of the collect, collective bargaining agreement, so this is this will it'll hurt us when we're still doing this, Jeff. But <laughs> to an extent, but I, I like you said, like we can see a lockout coming in the future, um, very easily just based off where they're at right now. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's good news as a temporary it's almost like putting a band-aid on it but 
when this one's up, you know that the players are going to go after the owners and said, hey, we did you a favor. We didn't opt out of the last one. So we we need to meet some demands. And I think one of the ones that is going to be maybe not at the very top of the list, but is, is going to be a lack of a better term, a top five listing item is going to be the uh, the the players participating in the Olympics and getting that deal done. I think if that's not taken care of, um, the players are going to going to be uh, more willing to to sit out. And, um, you know, obviously you still have your your financial reasons as well that, you know, that's way over my head. But I think the Olympics is going to be a really big thing for the um, for the players and the owners to to get done. I know that's always always been fascinating to me that a league, a professional sports league in North America has to shut down because of the timing with the Olympics. And most of those players are going to represent their country if they had the, if they had the chance to. And I know that that kind of puts a headache on people scheduling the season because like, was what, what is it like two and a half weeks off, like 17 days? Yeah. It's like, yeah, some somewhere around there. So basically in those 17 days when you're usually playing, let's say roughly 10 games with seven days off, now you need to not, I wanted to use the word extrapolate, but you basically have to take those 10 games and move them into other pieces of the year. And that's where I can see, you know, scheduling can be a lot tougher, but there's no reason that they still can't continue to do this. And I think, you know, obviously it's going to come down to money where the, not the values, you're not losing out on value, but owners are losing out on money during those weeks. And I don't see how you can't bring it back based off other games being scheduled around it. So that like players need to be in the, in the Olympics. That's all. That's all I'll say now. I think so too. And I mean, with the Olympics and everything like that, that's what makes hockey so unique to the to the other sports is that um yeah you're you're privileged to play in the nhl but a lot of those players take it very seriously to play for their country as well too um you know the the matchups that you can get you know the swedes and the Finns, the canadians the russians the russians and the americans uh the upcoming uh dueling countries of the united states and finland being um, kind of a rivalry based off how often they play each other in international play. Um, you know, the, the international game is, is such a, um, it's such a, a, a unique way of the game to be, be able to build off itself and become better and better. And, um, if you, if, if you get a chance to, and I'm going to recommend this once Christmas time comes around, uh, watch the world junior championships on the NHL network. Cause yeah, that's some of the some of the best hockey throughout the year you'll watch because it's not only twenty year old kids playing for for their country, but you know they're playing to to get a look into the NHL and playing for scouts as well. So you're getting that mix of, you know, I'm trying to make it to the show, but I'm also playing for my country's flag as well. So, uh, to, to play devil's advocate real quick. As an owner, when your players are going out to play for another country while you're under contract for them, if you're that worried about injury, make clauses in that 
contract that states if you get injured while overseas or like playing for another country, like you're not getting guaranteed money or something. Just I'm kind of spitting. There's right now. I, I I I know what you're trying to do, but there's the, the minute you take away guaranteed money from the players, that's you're, you're not. They're gonna put that right through the shredder. That's why I'm not a devil's advocate. Right. They they have the guaranteed money, and there's not a chance they're going to give that back up, especially with what you see in the NFL where you can lose your contract in a a millisecond. They'll never give that up. Yeah, so like I said, I was spitballing trying to play devil's advocate, but if the owners are that upset about, potentially upset about players getting hurt, find something, clause it up, something, so... Right, right. That's what, that's what I'll try to say about the other side. I got you. I got you. Uh, so last thing here, um, I know, this is one last note. I know you wanted to talk about this. Uh, Evgeny Kuznetsov got a three-game suspension for his uh, for his little uh, cocaine video that he had put out on Twitter. Um, it's a three-game suspension by the NHL, four years by the uh, IIHF. Uh, Dave, what do you think of this? So where is the correlation here between the suspensions with the NHL, who he does play for, um, he's signed under contract with the Capitals, getting the three-game suspension, which is fair, I think. Um, it could, I think it could have been as high as five just because of, you know, it's a substance abuse uh, suspension. So I think those could go as, even as high as five. But... Where does the IIHF and the International Ice Hockey Federation, correct? Yes. Where do they view cocaine as a performance-enhancing drug to make it a four-year suspension? That is where I am completely lost on all of this. Um, is that uh, – and I, I, I don't know this for sure, but the way I'm thinking is, is that the um, – the Olympic Committee, as well, I'm sure, has a hand in that as as well as far as how they they look at the drug use and and all that stuff. So um, when you get to the international stage, I'm sure there's other committees that are involved with that and um, the substance policy and everything that that goes with the Olympics or or any other type of international play. Um, probably had a say in, in suspensions and everything like that. So um, I, th- I think that you're not just looking at the IIHF. You're looking at a lot of other committees and their policies amongst um, foreign substances being used by their athletes. If, Kune- if Kuznetsov does this 15 years ago, does this even get out? Does this become a story? Well, n- probably not because I don't think Twitter was invented yet, but um, – Probably not. I I wouldn't think because the the drug testing and everything hasn't become a big deal that much until uh, what would you say the last twenty years? I'd say even more recent than that. I think well to to get on our other sport with what the MLB went through in the late nineties with everybody juicing. I think that's kind of where it all started, just to tone down on all of the no, they're essentially drugs that are hurting your body but at the same time they are enhancing other parts of the body as well so i'd say even more recent than that let's let's just say 15 years yeah so 
But yeah, um, I just think it's insane the the difference between the two. And I get your point about how the you know the Olympics gets involved whenever you get with the international committees. But I think just with what he had had done, I think that's huge overkill with that suspension. What the four years? Yes, the four years. I think the three games is fine. Like I said, it could have been as high as five, but. I mean, um, you look at you look at the four years. I mean, they went to the Olympics what two years ago? Was the last yeah. time the last Winter Olympics? Um, so. I mean, we're in we're in going into twenty twenty. They played in twenty eighteen, I believe. Okay, so you figure he's just gonna he'll miss three World he'll, Championships and an Olympics for for doing a drug that's illegal in the United States. Yeah, I think that can be a, a, a tad bit harsh, rather than uh, just three three games. I mean, but but again, look at what we're we're dealing with here. Like you said, one's a performance enhancer and one's a substance abuse thing. So, but it's the same drug. That's why I'm just confused on what is just substance abuse and what's performance enhancer. I know it's just the eye of the beholder when it comes to what is this. So right. two people view it differently but i like i said i just think it's overkill with the with the suspension i mean just because of how often or not even how often how little they play internationally i would say two years if you want to go that far um because how little that they play internationally i think that i mean they 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 have the world championships every year yeah but you know it's only one time a year so i i would say like two years would would have been so you 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 would say okay go ahead and play in the in the uh, the B international tournament but once the once the, you know the players are allowed to go back to the Olympics yep you're off the hook I think that's the whole point of it is that he's gonna he's potentially gonna miss the Olympics um, he's gonna miss the Olympics if they can come back I think that's like their whole premise on the 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 whole suspension. Yeah, I know that that can be a, a bit of a dagger to most hockey players. So, so I, I don't I know. Mean, I think I think it's two years. I think that would have been fair, but what do I know? Yeah, yeah, it's it's tough to judge, but I I like I like the four years. You know, you, you did the you did the crime, or yeah, you did the crime, do the time. Um, but I mean, it's not a big deal in the, as far as the NHL side of things with the Capitals. So, um, you know, they'll they'll miss them for three games and then. They'll probably end up winning the Metropolitan Division like we talked about last week. <laughs> I feel like the, it's always the Capitals winning the division. It's always right. the and, to lose. And then they'll lose in the first round. So, Ooh. All right, let's do some preview stuff. I'm tired of talking about business and everything. All right, we're, we're probably going to have to run through this because we took a lot of time last week, and we are getting into it right now. So yep. let's just jump straight into it with the Atlantic Division, with the Boston Bruins, the Basically, the Eastern Conference, um, you could say, incumbent of the Stanley Cup. I they like added... that word a lot. I like that Thank a you. lot, how you use it. Thank that. you. Thank you. Uh, key arrivals, they got Brett Ritchie and uh, Par Lindholm on a one-year and two-year deal. They lost Marcus Johansson. And, ah, um, oh, geez, if only I would have heard these names before. Noel uh, Asiari. Achari. Achari, yep. That's and like Noel, Noel Achari. Noel Achari. And then um, they re-signed 
well, you can add Charlie McAvoy now. Oh, he's on this list as unrestricted free agent and re-sign uh, Danton Heinen and uh, Connor Clifton. So, I don't know, Boston, for as well as they played last year, can they do it again? Uh, say that again, I'm sorry. <laughs> with, with how well Boston played last year, can they do it again? Can they be in the Stanley Cup again? I don't know. I, I think they they got a, incredibly, incredibly lucky with Tampa Bay getting swept in the first round. Um, I think I think they're going to be flirting with like a three four spot. I think I think Toronto is going to be incredibly rejuvenated this year, and with everybody locked up long term, um, that distraction's out of the way. They got Tyson Berry, um, you know, to to build up that back end a little bit. I think Boston's going to be in for a little bit of an awakening here. And you still got old man Zidane Chara back there as well. Yeah, I I still don't see the benefit of having Chara back there. But getting McAvoy, I think, is huge. You also have Pasenak and Marshawn. And, I mean, hell, Rask was playing phenomenally well in the playoffs. So I think it's going to take another 100 points for them to even think about winning the division. And... This could be the year that it, it that maybe they just don't eclipse 100. I'll just go that far. Yeah, so. yeah. I I think there'll be like a, a high 90s, maybe low 100 in terms of points. Um, but I still expect Tampa Bay and Toronto to go one in some form of one two in in that division. Well, you can get into that later on. But now we're gonna get to the Buffalo Sabers. They added Marcus Johansson, Colin Miller, and. Uh, Jimmy Vesey. Um, they lost uh, Jason Palmonville and Alex Nylander. They've also re-signed Jeff Skinner, Jake McCabe, and uh, Evan Rodriguez and others in there as well, but we don't have to get into all of them. So, I mean, this is basically the Jack Eichel show, what I've seen m- mostly there, but do you think with some of these players that they've added, they can finally turn it and maybe flirt out a wild card? In this division, it's going to be tough. Um, I do like the direction that Buffalo's taking. With the signing of uh, of Jeff Skinner, I think, was a real message sent to the fan base that um, brighter days are on their way. Um, you saw how they came out of the gate last year. They really came out hot. Um, they just kind of ran out of steam. And being in the division with Tampa, Boston, and Toronto, um, all put up 100-plus point seasons um, makes it difficult to compete, but, uh, the Jeff Skinner thing, like I said, is huge. Um, they got some young talent, uh, that they could po- possibly be in the lineup as well. Um, that honor Yokorayu that they, uh, they got in the trade with, um, with Alex Nylander. That's a, uh, that's a pretty big trade for them as well. Um, Alex Nylander didn't quite work out the way they were hoping, and um, when that trade was made, there was a lot of people in Chicago that were upset that uh, Yokorayu ended up getting moved in that deal. They felt that they kind of lost that deal a little bit. So um, I, I, I don't think that they're quite there yet, but I think that they'll definitely be in the hunt for a wild card. I don't know if they'll necessarily get it, but they'll definitely, uh, they'll definitely be, uh, be in the hunt for one. It's hard for me to not see this team, aside from Ottawa, be in last place in the division because of how strong everyone else is. So as much as that is kind of a knock 
on the Sabres. I also think that's praise to the Atlantic Division because of how you know, how top-heavy it, it is, plus having some other scragglers there, which we'll get into. But I overall, I you need more help for Jack Eichel to really become something spectacular to watch and have and be able to watch him in April and maybe even May. So I think it's still going to be a while, two years maybe, to get to the playoffs. But I think for now, they're just going to have to take a backseat and still collect on their picks. Yeah, I, I think they're still, like we said, we, I think we are in both in agreement that um, – you know, the rebuild in Buffalo is not done yet, but they're making significant moves to start moving themselves in the direction that they need to be in. And um, if they can hit maybe a couple of home runs on some uh, some picks here, maybe in the next draft, that maybe propels them into a wild card situation or even being a top three team in the division. So let's move on to the Detroit Red Wings. The, some key arrivals, they have Patrick Nemeth come in, uh, Valtteri uh, Phil Pila and Adam Ernie and some key departures are Thomas Vanek, Nicholas Cronwall, who retired and Martin Furk. Uh, Jeff, I just want to point out that I've never seen a last name without vowels up until this point. So uh, yeah, yeah, he's a foreign guy. So that's, oh, that's... who isn't a foreign guy in this league? Come on. Brian Dumoulin. All right, so, uh, and they didn't really re-sign anyone, so Jeff, this could be another team who's looking to sit at the basement of the Atlantic Division. Yeah, Detroit's in a a spot where they're they're 100% rebuilding. Um, Looking at the article from the the score that we're kind of going off with, you look at a lot of the first-rounders that are, they're looking to hopefully crack the lineup this year. Um, You know, they're, they're, probably going to draft again in a top five spot um, come June next year. So um, definitely a, uh, a rebuild. They're probably going to be a basement dweller. Um, that's pretty much all I got to say about that. They're in good hands with Steve Eiserman, but um, he's definitely still got some, some work to do and uh, bring some success back to Detroit. All right. So how about the flow rider Panthers? Uh, with bringing in guys like Sergei Bobrovsky on a what I think is too much of a deal, seven year, seventy mil. Anton Anton or Anton Strawman. There you uh, go. Brett, Brett Connolly and uh, you know Jeff, your boy Noel Achari. There you go. Look at you learning. Uh, wow. See, that's what I mean, Jeff. If I don't hear it before, I'm just lost. <laughs> uh, Roberto Luongo retired. They lost James Reimer, Riley Shahan. Um, and Derek McKenzie, they resigned McKenzie uh, Weger, uh, Dennis Malgan, and uh, S- Samuel Montembeau. I'm just going with it. I don't care. Yeah, sorry, man. I can't <laughs> help you out there. See, see, when you don't hear it before, it's tough, right? Yeah, I, I can't wait. Well, I, I mean, it's not going to matter. He's a goaltender that was signed for one year, seven oh nine thousand dollars. Probably going to he'll. I guarantee you, by the end of the year, he plays five games. Uh, I'll I'll say ten because I want to be different from oh, you. Oh, taking the over. Okay, yeah. that a boy. Joel Quen, Joel Quenville's coaching this team now. Do you have any hope for this team? I I like what this team did a lot in the um in the in the off season. Um, the only thing is, are are they gonna get? Is it everything gonna come together? 
because you know it's one thing to make all these big signings, but you have to get everybody to buy in as well. Uh, Joe Quinville, um, I'm thinking is probably going to be able to pull that off, no problem, being one of the legendary head coaches. But um, you're still going to need another big year from Sasha Barkov. Aaron Ekblad's going to have to have a big year again. Um, uh, Jonathan Huberdeau is going to have to be a leader this year. Um, like I said, you you bring in you you spend all this money, um, the expectations go up, and you you got to perform. And uh, we'll see how they how they end up uh, performing this year. Bobrovsky better play the same way that he did in Columbus last year for at least the first three years for people to not revolt about this signing. I mean, that's how I feel about it. Right. Um, yeah, I, I, I think, think I think if if he plays well and the team doesn't make the playoffs, he'll be all right. But if they make the playoffs and he's kind of a liability back there, that's when that's when there's going to be an uproar. But I also think that if it's going to be a very defensive-led team uh, with Ekblad and Strawman, so this this is, needs to be the New York Islanders of last year for them to for people to buy into this organization. But I don't see that happening, even with Joel Quinville. Um, but I can see a wild card in their future. Um, just not like what we saw with Barry Trotz and the Islanders. Yeah, I could see that. I think that they're going to they're probably going to have to play a very specific style like the, like the Islanders do um, and have to really, like I said, get everybody to buy in on that style and play a certain way to be successful and either be a wild card team or um, you know, maybe knock off one of the uh, one of the top three teams in Toronto, Boston, or Tampa Bay. All right, so let's move on here to the Montreal Canadiens, the team that holds the most cups. Some key arrivals. They got Ben. Uh, I want to say Cherry. I'm just gonna go with Cherry because I think that sounds cooler. Uh, three, three years, ten point five. <laughs> add a, add a uh, little bit of like a French term on that, Ben Chirot. Ben Chirot. Yeah, yeah. Nick Cousins and uh, Keith Kincaid. Uh, some people that left: Jordy Ben, Antti Niemi, and Thomas Placanic. It's funny that all three, or not three of them, two of them went to play in different countries. Yeah. And they also resigned uh, Joel Armia, Atori Lekkonen, and uh, Brett Kulak. You know, I'm just, I usually just stop because I think I'm murdering these names. But the Montreal you actually, Canadians. You actually did well on the, on the re-signings. You crushed all of them. Wow. Wow. Just shows you how much confidence I've lost in my ability to say these names. So, uh, Jeff, the, the Montreal Canadiens, do you see uh, bright lights in their future? I do not. This is a team that, uh, um, I, that that's just begging for a another top line center or or winger, or someone to score goals, and they just don't have the goal scoring in their lineup. They have an incredible goaltender in Carey Price in that, and um, you know the, their back end isn't awful. It could be better, but they just don't have the the punch back up front to. Uh, to compete in this division, and I think it's going to be another long year in uh, in Quebec. It's kind of sad with how well and how well appreciated Carey Price is in Montreal, and to even think back like three years ago that this was a Stanley Cup contending team that they are almost like in their own way when it comes to the the postseason now, and it it just kind of sucks. 
with the position that they're in. So I kind of agree with you that it's, it'll be tough for them to even get close in my eyes that to a playoff position. But I think one of the best moves that they made this offseason was uh, putting the offer sheet on Sebastian Ajo. <laughs> Yeah, looking at this, like I said, we're going through an article on on the score, kind of keeping up with arrivals who left and everything. And the last line in this thing says that uh, Mark Bergman had a very embarrassing attempt to take Sebastian Ajo from the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, That kind of made me laugh a little bit. Um, But, yeah, I I just don't know if if – uh, this team can compete without any upfront um, scoring in the in the top six. All right, let's move on to the next team, the Ottawa Senators. Some arrivals that they brought in: uh, Nikita Zaitsev uh, on a five-year, twenty-two point five million dollar deal. Connor Brown, uh, Ron Hainsey. You remember Hainsey? <laughs> yep. Uh, Tyler Ennis and Artem Artem Anisimov. And then some departures, Zach Smith, Cody Cece, and uh, Ben Harper. And then they also re-signed Colin White, Anders Nielsen, and Anthony Duclair. That Colin White deal, six-year, $28.5 million. Jeff, do you think this is the year that Ottawa isn't in last? Uh, they'll be battling with Detroit to be be the last spot. But uh, they got some names on here that are, that are pretty... Um, pretty interesting under the rookies who could crack the lineup. You got Philip Gustafson, who is in the, the Derek Broussard trade. Um, Eric Branstrom, who is in the trade for, um, oh, geez, uh, um, the Mark Stone trade with Ottawa. Um, those are the two that are that are the big ones. Uh, Logan Brown, who is a first-round pick in 2016. Um, there's, there's a lot of young kids that are going to be um, going to be trying to make a name for themselves in the NHL. Um, don't forget, they still have Thomas Shabbat in the in their lineup as well. Um, I, I I like, as far as the prospects that they have, that can, um, they can really push them to hopefully be better within the next three to four years, but it's still going to be a long year in Ottawa. Yeah, I think that, the only wild cards that you have are just the rookies that are that will come up and see who will flourish and who will not. So it's like like we all say, it'll be interesting to watch. But I'm gonna just go bold and say that they won't be in last place in their division by the end of the year. I'll say they will be in last place. Fair enough. Let's move on. The team with the biggest choke job of all last year, the Tampa Bay Lightning, set all sorts of regular season records, set all sorts of postseason records for the wrong reasons. Some key arrivals, they brought in Curtis McElhenney to back up uh, Vasilevsky. Uh, they have Kevin Shattenkirk and Pat Maroon and Luke Shen. Some players that they left was uh, Strawman, JT Miller, Dan Girardi, and Adam Ernie. And they re-signed Vasilevsky, like I said, eight years, 76 mil. Uh, Cedric uh, Packett, Pacchiette, I don't know. Pocket, Pocket, Pocket. really? There's an I in there. <laughs> Braden Coburn and... Uh, Jan Ruda, Jan Ruda, Jan Ruda, Jan, Jan. So, it, it's a it, it's like uh, jogging or jogging. It's you're not quite uh, sure if it's a soft J or not. I was gonna say, are you just yawning over there because it's so late? <laughs> no. Uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. Should they even be considered to not be the division champs? I think it's gonna be between them and Toronto for the division champs. 
Um, I, I I just think it's going to be uh, like a classic like revenge tour, kind of like what we see from the New England Patriots in the NFL, um, where they just they just tee off on teams and they do the exact same thing they did last year. Yeah, I think Vasilevsky is going to kind of show off what the goaltender's market is going to be paid like, and I think he can have another spectacular year, especially adding like Luke Shen and Kevin Kevin Shattenkirk to these one-year deals to see if they can just kind of just stay right there with the core guys that they have to make it to that Stanley Cup final. Because, um, well, they haven't been in it since 2015. So they've been... They've been there almost every year besides last year. So I think if Vasilevsky can play the same way that he did last year, this team can potentially win it all. Like, this is one of the only teams that you could confidently say, no, here's my money. This team's going to win the Stanley Cup by the end of the year if everything goes right for every for every team. Right, if you can turn off, like, that injury setting like you can on NHL and – a couple other couple other settings and yeah i i would say they're a safe bet they're they're 100 percent like the safe bet like if you if you're nervous about making a pick just go tampa bay you'll be fine but um i i don't think there's much more you can really say about them they're they're the class of the eastern conference and i think last year was just the biggest fluke that we've ever seen so let's end it with the boys who I think we've talked about the most today, the t- Toronto Maple Leafs, they, who haven't they brought in, really? Uh, Tyson Berry, Alexander Kerfoot, Cody Ceci, Ben Harper, J- Jason Spezza, and the list goes on. So I don't even feel like getting into that. There's like about six more names. They've also lost a lot, like Nazem Kadri, like Nazem, no, it's not Nazem, whatever, Kadri, Jake Gardner, Patrick Marlowe, Nikita Zaitsev, Ron Hainsey, and everyone else as well. They've also re-signed uh, our boy Mitch Marner, Andreas Johnson, Casper Kapanen, Alexander Kerfoot, and Cody Cece. So, um, Jeff, we've been talking about this a lot. This is probably the only team that battles Tampa Bay for that division spot. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think so. I think these two teams, like I said with the Tampa Bay preview, um, they're going to go slugging back and forth. They're going to be... Uh, five-star matchups every time these these teams get together. Um, the only thing that that I am concerned about, and people might think I'm crazy, is can Toronto's goaltending stand up all year? Because down in Tampa Bay, they they don't have to question who's uh, who's going to be their number one goaltender and if he's going to perform every night. Um, it's just what it's just a wonder if Freddie Freddie Anderson is going to be able to. Uh, to to do the job each and every night. And plus they have um I'm pretty sure Neuverth is on is on a deal with them as well to uh yeah up, a PTO professional uh tryout. Yeah, so we'll see if he's even the backup to Freddie Anderson. But that, like that, the I think the move too, not to cut you off, the move that, that I, I like a lot this offseason is the Tyson Berry deal. Mm-hmm. Um Yep, because that gives you another puck mover behind Morgan Riley. So now you're start they're starting to build a team that's um, able to move the puck in waves. That it's not just oh well, we got to play Morgan Riley 33 minutes a night so we can get the puck uh, out of our end into our forwards. Now you're getting that 
you know, with Morgan Riley, with Tyson Berry, they, they got a lot better on their back end. I think I got Tampa first, Toronto second, and Boston third. That 2-3 spot goes down to the second or last game or last game of the year. Mm, okay. I'm going to say Toronto finally gets over the hump. Um, I think getting all these contracts done and all the distractions of, you know, is, is Mitch Marner going to stay? Is he going to go? Um, I, 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 I think this is Toronto's year. Ooh, is that a bet? <laughs> it might be. My phone is open and could go to the Rivers website here in a second. Let's head over to the Rivers and find <laughs> out. So, uh, anything else we want to add to this preview? Um, nope. I think we are good. All right. So that was our Atlantic Division preview. Uh, next week we'll jump over to the Western Conference and do the Central. Uh, yeah. Whoever this scored as a preview, before, we can go through. <laughs> whoever whoever does the work for us, I guess. Right. Right. So, all right. What what do we got next? Is that it for hockey talk? That that is it for hockey. After about an hour of hockey talk. All right. So. Baseball talk. Uh, there's at least one thing I did want to get get off my chest. Um, I will. I will. I will let you take over. All right. Well, we had a we had a couple injuries last week to players who were probably projected to win the MVP in their leagues, and I think I gave them the kiss of death. Um, just gonna leave that out there. So Christian Yelich is done for the year. He essentially broke his kneecap. The day that our that I think we released our podcast, I can't. It's been a we, while. We would like to put a disclosure out too that we do not uh, put any harm on any any players. And with the playoffs coming in what two weeks, uh, we will not be talking about the Atlanta Braves for the rest of the week. Ronald Acuna Jr. So, oh. <laughs> so, and we have Mike Trout who. I actually don't know the full extent of his injury, but it seems to be dealing with his foot, and he has been shut down for the rest of the, for the rest of the year, basically because of the Angels being in the position that they're in at sixty-eight and eighty-two out of playoff contention. So why even risk hurting the man you signed to the biggest deal in all of North American sports? Um, the one thing I wanted to mention about this was that with these players who are getting injured and leading the league basically in most offensive statistical categories. And you could maybe even argue some defensive. I haven't even looked that far into it, but for them to be leading the the charge to be the MVP, having this injury derail their chance of even winning this, I think is a little too far Oh, I'll just go with the with the term too far. So for players to at least put in roughly 140 games into the season and then get hurt for the rest of the season, that really takes away everything that they've done and they're no longer in contention for that award anymore. So I know I'm kind of jumping all over the place with how I am describing this, but... I think it's harsh on the players that if you get hurt with two weeks left in the season, no matter how well you're playing, that you're not going to be winning this MVP award. And I think that's not really wrong, but I think it's just jumping the gun a little bit. It's not going to change Christian Yelich's 
ridiculous OPS for the season. It's not going to change the fact that Mike Trout has been crushing home runs left and right in the American League. So, Jeff, I guess what I'm trying to ask is why should a player, I'll just use the word, be penalized for getting injured with 20 games left in the season to win an award like this? So, my... I'm going to answer answer your question with oh, a question. Jeez, you're so good at this. <laughs> Christian Yelich and the Milwaukee Brewers might not make the playoffs. Mike Trout and the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim of Orange County might not make the playoffs as well. Do you think that could be a factor of why these these two might not win the MVP? That that could be it because I know that's part of the reason why Braun won in 2011 over Matt Kemp, but. It's, and then and then lied about doing steroids. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 actually happened. But for these players who are putting up these gigantic numbers, although their team's not winning, and this is an individual individual based award, and I don't see how it always ties into the team winning. As well, because I think the higher that your war is, the more likely you are to win the MVP. So if let's just use, for example, Jeff, because it's not true. If Yelich had a 10 war and Acuna Jr. had a 6.9 war and the Braves got second in the Amer- in the National League behind the Dodgers and the Brewers didn't make the playoffs, who should win the MVP based off those stats? I mean, if you're basing it off war and everything, 100% it's Christian Yelich. But I think, right. I think, I think that's lot... what these awards come down to. It's just the, the wins above replacement. Uh, but is that really fair? Because, I mean, I mean, to an extent, I mean, Ronald Acuna also gives the Atlanta Braves a 40-40 year that we haven't seen in some time and is able to completely overhaul the lineup uh, batting from the leadoff spot compared to where he was in the cleanup spot. Cleanup spot. I, I, I just don't understand. Well, no, I can see Ronald Acuna Jr. winning it um, based off that 40-40 season. But what if he comes one stolen base, I'll say, shy of 40-40? Should that really take down his chances of winning the award? Like, it just I, because- would ho- I would hope not. But do you think just that one stolen base would, would hurt based off what Cody Bellinger has done and what Christian Yelich did before hurting himself? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I honestly don't know how to answer this. I would, say, I would think that based off projections and all that stuff, and again, projection, projections are just, you know, guesses, right? That Oh, well, he's probably going to get to 40-40, or he's probably going to hit 45 home runs. Um, I don't. I, I just have a tough time saying, well, the projections are going get, to get him to this number, and, you know, we can give him the MVP that way. I, you know, I, I, think it, I think if he gets hurt, you know, what's the difference if he would get hurt in July, though? Like, are you still basing that war off that he could be an MVP? I mean, it it shows how valuable that player is. And I think that's what the award is based off of. It's valuable. is his value to the team, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess so. So that's where I'm getting confused with how this award is based off. 
where you can already put you can put in 140 games, but if you get injured for the rest of the season, your chances are done. I, like, I don't think his chances are done, though. I, I, I just think that he's going to miss not because of he, he got hurt. I think it's going to be because he uh, his team probably is going to miss the playoffs. But for a team to maybe, like, let's just say the Brewers miss out on the last day. I know we're not really focusing on the Angels because they're already out of the playoffs. But let's just focus on the Brewers. Brewers, if they miss out on the playoffs on the last day of the year, don't you think that's even more reason to give it to Yelich because he couldn't be out there because of his injury and how much, no, I'll use the word value he brings to that team in that lineup. But if he, if he was such a valuable commodity though, like shouldn't they have been at the top of their division though? Do you like, think if, Mark- if he's, if he's really that good and he's that important to that lineup, should they have not, not be leading the division by four games or so? Does he pitch? He does not, but he plays every day. So do you think every baseball that's not hit to him, he should be able to defend because of his pitching? No, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying offensively, though. I mean... He's one of the best in the league, if not the best. He is. So that's where you can argue in baseball that you don't always get the wins to go along with your success in a season. That's true. That's and true. I, I think it's more directly correlated in hockey where you can see the bad games and you can point out where you're losing games based off an individual's performance that game. But overall, you can see where teams steal victories in NHL in the NHL with an MVP type of player like a Sidney Crosby, like a Patrick Kane, like anyone else who's won the award, like Nikita Kucherov, who there were probably games that they should have lost last year. But to have him and everyone else, it just was too much. So you can directly correlate those stats to end game results. In baseball, I don't think that's necessary. Or not that it's not necessary. I don't think it's possible all the time. There are certain situations that you can point out that if they don't get that hit, okay, that makes sense. But it's not an everyday win or lose situation um, where even though they, they might not make the playoffs, that doesn't mean that he was the best damn player on the field. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. You've, you've made an argument. It only took, it only took nine months. Let's get it. No, let's go. All right. So, um, I mean, that was a, a, essentially it for baseball aside from rapid fire, um, guessing game. Let's do the projections. Like you said, the guessing game of, um, when these teams will win their division. Okay. So, um, let's start up in the, let's start with your boys. How about that? Uh, they're going to clinch this week. Um, with, uh, the Braves have a nine and a half game lead in the division. The magic number is four. The, um, the nationals are currently, um, in St. Louis, I yeah they uh, they're playing right now actually I believe. Let me just get a look here. And the Cardinals are up four two in the bottom of the eighth. So that'll be another another uh, number shaved off there. So um, I think Atlanta clinches this week, no problem. I mean the elimination number for Washington is four. I uh, I don't know if they play Thursday, but. 
if the if the Braves do, I'll say that it happens on Thursday. They do play Thursday. They play the Phillies, which if they clinch against the Phillies, is that not the biggest middle finger to that organization? Especially this year. After after how we started, we were way back in late March when the Phillies were getting ready to be crowned world champs and, you know, to come back and clinch the division on our on our uh, our home field, I kind of like that a lot. If I predict it, you're welcome. <laughs> All right, well, let's avoid this one for now because it's so tight, and the Dodgers already clinched the West. So there goes this game. Let's go to the AL East. Uh, the Yankees with the the three is the magic number. They have a nine game lead on the Rays. When do you think the Yankees clinch? <laughs> I know a certain listener that that loves the New York Yankees, and I'm half tempted just to piss them off and tell them that they blow the nine-game lead, and Tampa Bay ends up winning the East. But they'll they'll clinch on Wednesday. I guess that is that is possible. Uh, they win tomorrow and Wednesday, and Tampa loses tomorrow and Wednesday. And with the Yankees playing the Angels and the Rays playing at the Dodgers. I can see that happening. I think yeah. Tampa squeezes out a win, so the Yankees will get it done on Thursday. So there'll they'll be two crowning of champions of divisions on Thursday at least. Okay. All right. All right. The I Minnesota, think it's I think Wednesday? it's Wednesday. I think it's gonna be Wednesday. Um I think the the Yankees will win tomorrow. The Rays are gonna lose, and then all the Yankees have to do is win on Wednesday. So we also have the Minnesota Twins with a four-and-a-half game lead in the Central on the Cleveland Indians. The magic number is nine. So this one might go a little bit farther, Jeff. What do you think? Uh, I think Minnesota is going to hang on to this one. I think it's going to be down the stretch, but I don't see Cleveland catching them with five games left or five games back at this point. Um, pretty much Minnesota just has to take – take a series or two down the stretch and they'll be all right. So I got Minnesota finishing this off. Minnesota's also been putting the beat down on the Indians in these three game weekend sets, which is basically set the set the separation between the teams right now. But let's just let's say when we record next week is when they'll be they'll be hoisting it. At least I hope they play that day. But <laughs> Um, I'd say either like next Monday or Tuesday that they, they're going to go come away with this because they have the White Sox and then they have Kansas City. They could get seven games in a row. And if they don't, they don't play next Monday. So whenever they play at Detroit next Tuesday, I'll just say next Tuesday they got it. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, last one. Or no, we have two more actually. Yeah, we have two more because we had to skip one. The AL West, we got the Houston Astros with a seven and a half game lead. Uh, on the Oakland A's. Oakland A's are one of the hottest teams in baseball right now. Six in a row, eight of the last 10, I think 12 of the last 15, ever since getting beat down by Houston, 15 nothing. So magic number is five for the Strohs. When do you think they put it away? They clinch it Friday. It's going to be a party in Houston. Wow, that's soon. Mm-hmm. I mean, Oakland has Kansas City right now, or... But keep yeah. in mind, keep in mind though that magic number though, yeah, it's five. So if you know, 
if Houston wins three games, that's still knocking a number off. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I can see why you think it'd be on Friday, but with Oakland having Kansas City, maybe it won't uh, be as quick if Houston <laughs> gets beat down by Texas, who Texas has been a, a good opponent against Houston all year long. So, we'll, I'll just throw that out there. So let's move on. Oh, no, I didn't even give my prediction. I say Sunday. I think the the wraparound weekend series. So Houston is celebrating and popping champagne bottles then. So there you go. Last one, the NL Central. We have three teams to pick here about who will be celebrating and when it will be. The St. Louis Cardinals have a two-game lead on the Cubs and a three-game lead on the Brewers. Um, I think statistically speaking, my pirates are out, so I can't go with them. <laughs> so who do you like of this three team race? I like St. Louis. This, this one's tough too, because I'm essentially picking who's going to be my, uh, my opponent in the national league division series. Um, I like St. Louis a lot. The, I think Chicago might fall off here though. Be with the injuries to Rizzo and Baez, you're pretty much leaving um, Chris Bryant on his own in terms of the superstar talent that they had in that lineup. So um, Let's I'm not forget say, the 16 runs on average they put up the last three games against my boys. Well, your team sucks and fights each other. Well, he had it coming. <laughs> no, no, I'm not even going to get into that right now. Um, but... Uh, I don't know. Do you have anything else to say about the, the Cubbies? Yeah, I just think the injuries are just going to catch up with them, and it's going to give teams down the stretch that if they do get into important games, they're going to be able to pitch around Bryant and pretty much let um, let other other parts of that lineup beat them. So, um, you know, if you don't have the supporting cast in a lineup, it can really hurt a, a superstar uh, hitter, and I think. Uh, Chris Bryant's going to fall to that, and the fact that Milwaukee Brewers are nine and one in their last ten. I think it's crazy where the Brewers are at right now without Yelich. I mean, the part not all of the last ten games they've been without. I think about six of them, but still, it'd be nine and one, two game winning streak right now. Nine of the last ten. They're still minus thirty overall on the run differential, which has really shown how you no. Know, bad their pitching has been you look at the difference between the brewers and the cubs with runs allowed the brewers have allowed 81 more runs if you want to look at the difference difference between the brewers and the cardinals it is a 127 well no 128 run difference between the two teams i gotta give it to the cardinals because of how excellent their pitching has been this second half jack flaherty starting pitcher has a 1.05 ERA in the second half since post-All-Star break. And along with him and everyone else on that pitching staff, that's basically the reason with where they're where they are at. And I see them popping bottles. I'm going to say the first game of the last series, which, you know, as I pull up the schedule... It will be against the Chicago Cubs at home. So I'm going to go on a limb here 
and say this is going to end up crazy, like a crazy situation where we might have there's going to be a playing game involved here, maybe a series of playing games that we that we have to go through to determine this. Jeff, don't do that. That's too much craziness. I I want to see it so like last year was awesome seeing like playing games for like the division and then like the playing game to see who gets to the wild card and then we play the wild card and then we can do the normal playoffs. So seven after this national series with the Cardinals, so the three games right now, they're winning right now four to two. So after these three games, they have four games at Wrigley, three at Arizona, and then they end with three against the Cubbies. So seven of their last ten after this series are against the Cubs. Oh, uh, let's let's watch that. That's going to be the best race to watch. So, um, Jeff, do you have an MVP this week? I do have an MVP this week. Um, kind of an emotional one with the uh, the recent day of importance that happened last week, September 11th, to um, the anniversary. Um, I'm sure you and I both have our memories of that day. Of we were obviously very young at the time of when that happened. Um, but this MVP isn't a mourning or anything like that. It's a it's kind of a celebration of um, the sport you and me talk about most. Um, the run to the to the uh, World Series in 2001 and how uplifting it was for the city of New York and for this country. Uh, I just watched the HBO documentary that kind of leads from September 11th to uh, Game 7 of the World Series that year. And the fact you see from the... Piazza home run against the Braves, which was the only time that I probably ever rooted for the New York Mets, um, all the way up to Luis Gonzalez's uh, Game 7 walk-off hit. Um, if there was ever a time that baseball had to really pick up this country, it was definitely at that time. And for the city of New York to be represented by the Yankees and pretty much this whole country rooting for the New York Yankees, um you know, the stories you heard in the documentary were absolutely awesome. So um, I'm I, I'm going to say the sport of baseball is my MVP just for how lo- uplifting it was for this country and its time of need and when when we needed a distraction from uh, the horrible uh, events that happened on September 11th. I'm going to try and rally off that and say my MVP of the week is Pete Alonzo because of the custom-made cleats that he made for all of his teammates uh, to honor uh, everyone who was a part of 9-11. Um, so, like, he made all these custom cleats to honor all the first responders and anyone who may have been affected by the tragedy, you know, straight from home, um, and just show his support out there because Pete Alonzo is one of the the best guys when it comes to supporting uh, former military and first responders and everyone like that. And he kind of just went against the the MLB when they rejected his offer to make custom hats, I believe. So he decided to go with custom cleats without even trying to get permission and went out there, got all of his, like went, was designing this these cleats for months to get them perfectly right for everyone on his team to wear. And it just turned out to be magnificent. Um, 
I don't know if we can find that on the Twitter, but I'm sure if if Jeff looks around sometime tomorrow when he's on his lunch break, he could find what those cleats look like and show them off on the Twitter here. Yeah, I'll definitely do that. I'll hopefully get to uh, to retweet those. And um, uh, again, it, it's one of the the worst times that our country has ever seen in its in its history. And um, but the one thing that I think a lot of people also forget is how how much this country came together the next day. And how, yeah, they may have knocked us down with a heavy punch, but we got right back up and we came, came together and, and fought back. And I think that's something that this country stands upon. And, um, and I, I think that's what makes me proud to be an American, that no matter, no matter how, far we, how hard we get knocked down, we're always getting right back up and ready to fight no matter what. I'm just going to let it end on that. I think that was good enough. So we're Icy Takes. This, that was Jeff. I'm Big Dave. Uh, we're going to sign it off here, and we will see you next week. But until then, stay icy. Love you guys. I love this land. God bless the U.S.